0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: If someone is born again, who comes to live inside them? Holy Spirit, you cannot stay the same. Right? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. You will not be the same. You cannot. It's impossible that God would move in and you wouldn't change. You won't be perfect and it's a process and it's going to be over time, but it's impossible to think that God moved in and nothing changed. That's just not possible.
0: If someone told you that they were promoted at work, but then they continued to do their old job, you would probably be a little skeptical. If your child told you they graduated high school, but then they go back to school in the fall, you wouldn't really believe them, would you? If a significant life event has happened, you'll see change. The same is true with faith. As Pastor Bill teaches today, when you become a Christian, things begin to change. You can't stay the same when God moves in. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 4 as he continues his message. Your money is no good here.
1: I got a friend of mine who's, he's a pastor and he came out of a real A traditional and real legalistic denomination. And he's coming out of it, though. He's uh, the Lord's spoken to him. He's changing it. He's even changing the name and changing how they do things. But he said the thing that just broke him. He said there was a day where he and his wife had been witnessing to a neighbor for years and she wasn't saved. And she, you know, never came to service or anything like that. And she came down with cancer and they were there ministering to her. And she said, you know, I'm going to come. And cancer had her broke down and just open and she needed the Lord. And she's not a Christian, doesn't do church, you know, but she came and she came in. And I don't know what the woman had. I wasn't there, but she wore a dress that maybe wasn't uh, in their their denomination. It wasn't a church dress. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't what they felt. He says and now in their church, there's the, the pulpit and then there's the back there. There's the choir stand. He said a woman got up from the choir stand. I mean, it was this big of a deal to her. Made her way from the choir stand all the way down as far as that woman had come to go and say whatever she said to her about her outfit. And he said that the lady got up and she left. And didn't hear the message. And she did die of her cancer eventually. And he said, he felt, he said, I feel responsible for that. that. That happened at church. I mean, it's just it's legalistic. It's, it's, uh, I'm going to just say this so we know where I'm at with this. Amen. I don't care what somebody wears on the way in the church is a spiritual hospital. So I expect if somebody walked into the hospital and their arm is cut off and it's bleeding, you wouldn't say you're making a mess. Get out of here bleeding. You know, that's what you came to the right place. Somebody could come in here looking like whatever. I'm saying leave them be. I'd love for them to sit through the message. I love for the believers that are here to to show the love of Christ to them, to speak a word to them, let them be. What better place could they be in? And so to run somebody out because they obviously need it is counterproductive. I think that makes Jesus mad. I think that that upsets the Lord. Um, So I don't ever want to be that. And I remember this happened when I was doing high school ministry, doing high school ministry at a church. And there was a young man that came in. There was a there was a rock group and I don't really do rock, but. Um, it was a blink 182 and they uh, they have made these shirts and these jump these like, you know, the garage jumpers. And so this kid wore a jumper in to church. But on the back of the jumper, there was a barcode and it said people equal the S word. He wore it at the church. So I saw it and I'm like, so I'm in Revelation. I'm like, he about to get it, you know, like <laughs> let him sit down. You know, we're going in today. You know, we talking about we talking about that. We in the nitty gritty. Let him sit down. So my leaders were all up in arms. Like, but other kids are going to read it, and they're going to see him. like i like, this is what I told him. I, I had a meeting. I brought everybody in the back. I said, look, there's not a kid in this room that haven't heard the S word. They probably speak it, and I'm reading it today is not going to kill nobody. Don't say anything to him about his jumper. Let him sit here. And he sat through the message. He didn't come forward or anything like that, but he sat through the whole thing. He heard it. He left. The next week, he came back, wore it again. And they're like, are we going to say anything yet? And I had, I had one leader with that religious spirit. They, they really badly wanted me to do. They felt like I was not doing. I said, just let it be. It's not hurting nobody. He's just, he's sitting through another message. Amen. And on this Sunday, the kid came forward. Give his life to the Lord. So I don't ask him about his jumper. So he came back the next week and I said, hey, I'd like to, you know, take you out on to sit at lunch. And I usually buy kids get saved. I give them a Bible and I want to talk to them. And I said, I got to hear his story. He said, this is what happened. He says, they live in a trailer park down the street from where we were having service at. And his friend had to come to church on Sundays. So his friend was like, hey, well, come with me. So he was only coming with his friend, a his friend, who had to come to church every Sunday. So he was, they skateboarded over and they came to church. And he said, but last, last week it got to him and he got saved and he gave his life to the Lord. And I find out about this kid living situation, lived in a trailer park. His, he had an older brother, who had recently been murdered. And the brother was the breadwinner. So they were losing where they live. He was only with us for about two months and then they had to move somewhere else. And I look at that, that little window of space that we had oh, in, come and think if we had to run him out because he wore the wrong outfit oh. and we had opportunity, he needed the gospel. So my prayer right up in here, I can't control a whole lot of places, but up in here, you see somebody walking in. If I can look at you and know you need help, then what should I I'm, I'm supposed to help you. Hey. I'm not supposed to look at you and say, how dare you wear that into the house of God.
0: If
1: you act like that, if I will kick you out, you know, let them sit down, you know, so I love y'all too. But I mean, that's my heart on it. You know, I would be so mad to find out that somebody showed up, apparently needed the Lord and got run up out of here before they had a chance to hear about him. So we want to be good about that. I expect y'all to love them. Y'all, somebody put an arm around him, greet them. You know, show them where things are at, and uh, I hope that their interactions with everybody here would show them how much Jesus loves them. Amen? Amen. And so we don't ever want to be just religious. And so back here, the last little section we looked at, Paul was really arguing just the circumcision that, that you know Abraham was justified before he even had went through the act of circumcision himself. And though these Jewish people are really having a hard time with it. It's just the way God was working at that time that God had said, I'm I'm not really concerned with the outward things that God was wanting Abraham believed. And so it, it's a model for you and I that to be right with God, I believe. What is it that we need to believe for us? Just like them. It's believing in the work that God did. And we come, when we come to the last verse. He's going to tell us exactly what we need to believe. So let's move on. Look at verses 13 through 15. It says for the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham. Or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So now he goes on into. Never mind the promise of God. what Abraham is, is what God promises, what God promised to give him. God has said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to have more. You got more descendants than, than the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And that promise wasn't going to be because he kept the law. That promise was because he believed. And so if it was and he says here, if it was because he had kept the law, then what will you and I would have nothing to look forward to? It's like, man, I got to be as good as Abraham to receive the promise. But Abraham just believed. And there is something significant. I, I thought about this as I prepared this week that I think that God speaks to his kids.
0: Amen.
1: And as I read through the word, I can see many places where God had promised kids. He promised, He gave them things to look forward to. Abraham, you're going to have a child. And he had to believe God and wait for it. You know, you know, he told Hannah, you know you know what? I heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. Yeah, and some people believe God right away. Other people struggle to believe. He told Mary, you're going to have a child. told Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. He told different people what they, you know, there were promises that God made to them at different times that they needed to continue to believe and wait on him to bring it to pass. And so I wonder in a group like this, if there aren't people that God has given promises to, things that God has said, I'm going to do this, that we waver at his promise. For some of us, it's just at, God's promise to forgive you and save you. Some people waver at that when you mess up. You forget that it had nothing to do with you. And so you can have a bad day. And, and that's why some people get saved. They answer altar calls all the time. Because they hear the message and they believe and they get moving. And they have a messed up week. Start sinning, tearing up stuff. And then they're like, I don't even know what I'm saying. If the strength of salvation was on your good life, then you could waver. But if it's on Christ and his finished work, then you should just say, I'm sorry for what I did today. I repent. I should confess my sins and repent. If my salvation and your salvation is leashed up to our level of obedience. Do you know how unstable that is for us? That's just like all over the place. It's I'm going to be I'm going to feel really saved when I'm doing really good. I'm going to feel moderately saved when I'm in the middle. I'm going to feel like I might not be saved when I mess up real bad. And God said, I really want you to stay in this place of believing that I did it. And so I need to believe that I'm saved, but I messed up. God made a provision for that. First John one, nine, when saved people mess up first, John one, nine, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. God has made provision for us to, to get our conscience clear with him, confess it and, and lay it down, repent of it. And don't go back to it. I forgive you. I'll cleanse you completely. You keep walking with me, right? But you don't want to base your standing in God on how you're doing now I got I to gotta shoulder that with something, right? Because some people say, well, I believe you meet people as you go witnessing and say, wow, well, I gave my life to Christ, you know, a long time ago. But they never walked with the Lord. They, have, they don't have any, there's no testing, they've never walked, they've never repented of their sins. They pretty much have kept going the same way, just at some point, they say, I raised my hand at church that one time and I prayed that prayer. So I'm saved, right? So I got to shoulder this truth with this truth, right? If someone is born again, who comes to live inside them? Holy Spirit, you cannot stay the same, right? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. You will not be the same. You cannot. It's impossible that God would move in and you wouldn't change. You won't be perfect and it's a process and it's going to be over time, but it's impossible to think that God moved in and nothing changed. That's just not possible. So if I'm looking at this life here, I'm saying God didn't move in there because nothing's changed. I just want to shoulder up those truths because I don't want to mislead someone that's never had a transformation into believing that everything's all good because I prayed one time. But on this side, God's not wanting people who have believed in sincerity to have an emotional stance with him where it ebbs and flows based on how you're doing. If you know you're giving your life to the Lord, and there's some evidences you can know. One day we'll go through 1 John and one of the goals of the book of 1 John is to help us know for sure that we're saved. But you can know that you're saved. And there's evidences. There's the evidence of conviction of sin. There's the evidence of discipline of God. The only disciplines those that belong to him. There's the leading of the Holy Spirit, the guiding, the convicting, work of the Spirit of God. There's things that we can know of. If you've ever been disciplined by God, he only disciplines his own kids. If you've ever experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit, either for something you've done or something you were thinking about doing, it's an evidence that God lives here. That's how come you can't be the same. Because the Holy Spirit will be inside. The stuff that you used to love to do over here with no problem. The things that I did when I wasn't saved with no conviction. I just did them. I felt good about them. I enjoyed them. I'm over here saved now, and I think about that mess. And God's like, don't even think about that. Don't even think like that. I'm just thinking. Don't even think like I'm in your thoughts. I'm all up in there. You know, like it's no longer, I know he lives there. It's I'm not the same guy that I used to be. I'm not perfect, but I'm not, I know I'm not the same. I know God moved in and didn't let me stay the same. And so we need to look for that. There should be transformation. In the life of the person that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in. Amen. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Look at 17 through oh, verse 16. I'm sorry. Therefore, if it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And I want you to notice the first part of verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. God wants our salvation, our relationship to him to be according to his grace. What is grace? It's God's unmerited favor. God doing what you don't deserve. God giving us what we don't deserve. God said, I want it to be according to grace. Because who gets the glory for grace? God does. Right? If God gives me what I don't deserve, I got to just say, thank you, Lord. I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve it. It's according to his grace. I just got to be thankful. All I can do with grace is say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being gracious to me. Thank you for your mercy in my life. Thank you, God. Grace removes pride. It removes spiritual haughtiness. It's just I'm a good recipient of God's grace. As recipients of God's grace, we should be graceful people. We should be gracious to other people. Having received what we don't deserve, right, just the grace of God. Grace should flow through the believer. Grace should mark us. We should be a gracious people. And so if you think you earned it, then you won't be gracious. You'll think that, well, I did my, I put in my time. You know, you got, to, you got to put in yours, you know. But if it's grace and I just got it, because God's good, then I I mean I could just be thankful and let me tell you what God did. You know, He's gracious, He's merciful, you know, He's a good God. So moving down now, look at verses, look at 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of Him whom believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, believed, so that he might become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And so uh he's in verse 17 reminding him that God had told him he'd be a, a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed and he said God now this verse is quoted by a lot of your word faith preachers your old King James says God who calls those things that be not as though they were and there'll be preachers that preach it like they could say that I call those things that be not as though they were and it preaches real good but I want you to have read this in context with me today who calls those things that be not as though they were God does do you No. I tell everybody, I, I had a minister, we call those things, we call something, and makes call. God, when, when God spoke things into existence, he spoke and it was. Say something. Say Mercedes. Say it. it. It won't happen. Right? And so they should know it, but they preach it like they don't know it. They've been preaching lies. So I, I just want to clear that up for y'all. If y'all ever hear that out of context, today y'all heard it in context. God is the one that's able to speak the things that be not as though they were only God. Now, When we speak his words, right, when I'm speaking, when I'm when I'm speaking what God said, When my faith is in what he said. God said, I, I call the things that are not as though they are. I knew before Abraham had a child that he would have a child. It was not. But I knew it would be. God was the one that spoke. Now, Abraham received the promise. Now, we've received promises like that. God has made promises to you and I. We have the promise of heaven. Right. I've never seen heaven. You guys, I've never been there. I just have testimony from scripture of what it's like and what it will be like. But I've never seen it with my eyes. I've never experienced it. But God has called it. God has said this is what will be. And for those of us that believe it, we can we can look forward to something. We can have a hope that the world could not have. The world can't hope for heaven. They don't have faith in God. They don't know. They don't have his word. We have it. And so anyway, he calls those things that that are not as though they did exist. Verse 18, who contrary to hope believe so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be blessed. And now it explains the, the practicality. How did Abraham become a father of many nations? As you guys know the story, Abraham's wife was barren and he was old. So, Abraham was, God had made him the promise, they were trying to have babies, they couldn't have babies, his wife was barren, it went on to where she went through the change, and it was too late anyway, Abraham was old and, and not functioning anymore anyway, it was way outside of the realm of human possibility, they had tried to fix it themselves earlier, Abraham went into his wife's handmaiden, Hagar, and they made Ishmael, God said, that's not what I promised, and so, they end up old and way down the line, God had made this promise, and I, there's something important here, but I, I want to read real quick. It says, so uh, verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. When it says already dead, that meant that he was no longer, him and his wife were no longer laying up like married folk do. They were just laying next to each other to stay warm at this point. So um, <laughs> it says, and about the it was the deadness of Sarah's womb that her body was, she was barren, and before she was. If she hadn't have been barren, she was beyond menopause and all that. Like it was way beyond. It was going to have to be a miracle. And so verse 20, it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. You should put quotes around that in your Bible. On, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So. It says that he trusted the Lord. Now, Abraham trusted God then for a baby. The baby came by miraculous means, right? At a hundred years old, God I don't know, I don't know what that evening was like, but Abraham said, Hey Sarah, we're we gonna go to the tent. I mean, God spoke to me, you know. At a hundred years old, they went and they they did the do and they made a baby and they had a child. I mean, because God said they would. This would be the same guy who years later when this son and you can imagine having a son of promise like that. How special that kid was probably couldn't have been more spoiled. He couldn't have been more loved. My mom and dad God to show up one day and say, I want you to take that son. I want you to sacrifice him for me. Offer him to me as a sacrifice. And Abraham said, OK, and he got moving. But it says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham did that. Believing that because God said that descendants were coming from Him, that even if He had to kill Him, that God had to raise Him up and make it come to pass, and that's amazing faith. That's just saying God. I mean, you, you, I know you got to keep your word, and that stabilizes the believer. When you just take God, God, I just try, I believe your word. I don't believe what I see. I'm trying to put myself in Abraham's shoes and just think. I mean, how do you trust God enough to? I mean, he had a son tied up, bound on the altar with his hand raised. How do you trust God enough to just say, I'm going to just do it. God have to raise him up. But he did. I just want you to know it was he grew in faith, right? He had to believe God earlier for this child. And I guess at that point, God, if you could do that, then I just I'm going to continue to trust you with my life. Sometimes it's a really healthy thing, because I want you to note when it says that he was strengthened in faith. How do you strengthen yourself in faith? One thing that believers should do as a practice is rehearse God's faithfulness. When you find that I'm weak in faith today, I, I, I need to trust God for these new things. I know God said he would do these things. I'm struggling. I keep my own thoughts keep entering in and they, they, they're above God's word. Sometimes it's healthy to look backwards
0: Whoa.
1: at God's track record, Come on. right? Something that God made the Israelites do in Joshua. He made them set up these Ebenezer stones. And the idea was that God had brought them this far. that they, He had brought them so far, he said, set up these stones, make it real high, and now keep going But you'll always be able to look back and say, the Ebenezer Sons, God brought us this far. And so it was something that they could look back and say, man, God had been faithful to that point. And they could trust him for where he was taking them. So I think it's healthy for Christians to journal. I know guys don't do diaries or whatever. Come up with another name for it. But it's healthy to write down, to rehearse God's faithfulness, what he did, answer prayers. If you do a prayer journal and there are things you're praying about in one season, you look back at time and you think, wow, God did them all. One time I found the journal that I had when I had, I had met my wife, but she wasn't my wife yet. She wasn't even sure she was going to marry me. She didn't think I was saved enough or whatever, you know. But I had a journal and I remember I found it and I had a desire to be in ministry. Amen. I was wanting to marry her Amen. and I was wanting a family. And there was, I had a list of things that I was really praying that God would do. And I found this journal right as I finished Bible college. And I was going on staff at Calvary Down and I looked at that list and I'm like, everything on there and some oh, stuff. Come on now. And it ministered to me just to look back and think how faithful God had been. So for some of us, when you got new things, look back, you know, rehearse his faithfulness and be reminded. So it said, And then the next thing you can do to strengthen yourself in the faith is Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Stay in your word. Stay off the TV. Stay off the news. News is depression. Stay off of bad counsel. Just be in the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you find you're weak in faith. You might be weak in your time in the word. And so you want to turn up that and let the Lord strengthen you to that. All right. Let's uh, let's close it up. So it says, um, verse 21, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone. That it was imputed to him. But this is where it comes to us. But also for us, that it might be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And so all of this, Paul saying all this stuff that we learn about Abraham was written for you, too, that you might learn from his example that by faith, righteousness is imputed, that you might put your faith and the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And so as I close this morning, I do want to give an opportunity for anybody here that would say, you know what? I need to put I, I need to surrender my life to the Lord. You might be here and you need to come back to the Lord. You might be here today and just say, I need to put my faith in God. I don't know if I die today, I'd be going to heaven, but I want to be saved. Uh, I want to give my life to the Lord. Um, I hope that you've heard clearly through all that we looked at today that God loves you that he made a provision for you. He died on the cross in your place. There's no one that he won't forgive. We talked about all those different things over until you're here and you say, I need it. I need his forgiveness. I need to be restored. I need to be right with God. Then let today be the day that you reach out and, and just receive him by faith when you say, yes, Lord.
0: Do you ever start thinking about God's immense love for you and get lost in the amazement? He loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, takes it even a step further when he says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at humanity and think we were doing such a great job on our own. He looked at us and saw that we were broken sinners, lost in rebellion, and he loved us anyway. If you haven't yet made the decision to follow him, Know that He is looking at you and loving you. He loves you just the way you are today. If you like to learn what it means to follow Him, you can call or text us at 310-245-4811. we love to walk you through the story of what God has done to offer you salvation. Once again, that phone number is 310-245-4811. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the Book of Romans in this series, a book filled with wisdom and instruction for life. If you missed a message and want to go back, you can find all our messages on our website, calvaryenglewood.org. That's calvaryenglewood.org. Look under the Media tab for links to YouTube and our mobile app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you again. Meet us right here next time for another great message on a transforming word.